So good morning. We are, uh, again, we just want to welcome those who are joining us online. Um, this morning we're going to really kind of dig into our Immerse Bible study. Uh, for those of you who have not picked one up yet, we have Bibles out here. They're $10 a piece. This is the, what's considered the Torah, the first five books of the, New Test- of the Old Testament, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. It's just written a little bit different. There are no numbers, no chapters, no, there's no other information in there. It's written just like a letter. So it's a little bit different way to read Scripture, but we find it reads much more like the way it was intended the way it was written. It was just written for the churches to read. So what we're, we're going to do is we're just going to do a 40-day flyover, an overview. We certainly don't have the ability to dig in like we did in Revelation. We'd be here for five years, so literally. Um, so the Torah is the first five books of the Old Testament. We're going to start looking at Genesis today. Last week we watched a video that talked briefly about Genesis as a historical book. It recounts the history of creation, sin, the fall of man, God's plan for restoration through the family of Abraham. Now, again, I just want to remind you of a couple of things. Like I said, these first five books, we're we're just going to do a flyover. So we're not going to go in any real depth, but there is meat in every one of these pages. I strongly encourage you, if you don't have a Bible, if you don't have one of these immersed Bibles, grab one out there. Like I said, they're $10. If you can't afford, just take one and... Let me know. Uh, second, um, this is also available on our church website. The schedule, uh, it's posted in here, but there is a daily reading schedule. And if you're one of those folks who just has a hard time reading it and getting, especially when you get into numbers and some of those, lots of word, lots of names and that kind of stuff, you can also just play an audio version and read along. I'm, I think it's really good for us to do both. See it. Be reading it and hear it is a good thing. And um, finally, some weeks our, our message will correspond perfectly with the teaching of that week, but that's not always the case. Use this as a, as a, as a Bible study. Uh, open it up, underline things, highlight things, uh, write in the sidelines. If you've got questions, write them down. The whole church is going through it. Find somebody else who's going through it and um, ask them a question about it. And if they don't know, ask somebody else. Read it again. Read it together. And if you need to, you know, if you really need to, you could find Gerald and he can answer it for you. <laughs> right there. Yeah, okay. So, so uh, again, the first five books of the Bible are called the Pentateuch. Uh, the word Pentateuch is actually two words, penta, meaning five, tuk, which meaning scroll. So it, it's written, this is compiled from five scrolls. Uh, the Jews call this the Torah. It's still called the Torah today. The word Torah little, literally means teaching or correction or instruction. So this for humanity was a book of instruction. It's a book of teaching. It's a book of correction. Um, scholars will tell you every major theology, every major theological doctrine that we have in the whole Bible, all of that is found in the first 11 chapters of Genesis. Read through this, grab it, take it in. Um, When we read in the New Testament about the law, what they're talking about is these first five books, the law. You see Jesus sometimes referred to the law and the prophets. He's referring to Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. That's the law portion. And then the prophets are some of the, the other books, the historical books that follow. And in days coming, we will look at those as well. So 
this is critical for us. Uh, the Pentateuch is essentially the works of Moses. Most scholars, however, believe that Moses had help in writing it. For example, in the book of Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy records the events of Moses' death. And so it's pretty widely believed that Moses didn't write that himself. You know, also in Numbers chapter 12. Numbers chapter 12, verse 3 said, Now Moses was a very humble man, more humble than anyone else on the face of the earth. The most humble Moses probably didn't write that either. You know, so it's believed that he had help. So with that little bit of history, we're going to jump into the book of Genesis. And again, what I'm going to do every week is I'm going to grab a couple of accounts, a couple of stories, and we're going to tear into those a little bit. Genesis chapter 2, starting at verse 16. And the Lord God commanded man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden. Here, Adam, or here God is speaking specifically to Adam. I want you to understand that. He's speaking to Adam. Eve's not been created yet. He's speaking to Adam. But you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat of it, you will surely die. Last week we looked um, at, as we looked at this, God, when God created everything he created, he got, well, as soon as he got done creating it, he said, it is good. Everything he created, it is good. When he created, when he separated the waters from the heaven and above, from above the heaven and below the earth, uh, he, he said, it is good. When he created land, he said, it is good. When he created the animals, he said, it is good. When he created man, he did not say that. But it does say, the word does say, that he created man in his own image. The original writing there, the Hebrew writing, that would be imagio dei. We are created in the image of God. That's going to come up in a little bit. We're going to read a little bit about that. So last week we saw that, that God created man. He created everything. He created man in his own image. But it's only man that he created in his image. We don't have any. The animals were not created in God's image. Adam was. What follows here after this story of creation or this account of creation is, again, the greatest tragedy that, uh, of humanity. Rather than celebrating all that God had given them, rather than walking in fellowship with God, rather than absorbing all that and taking that in, we don't know how long that they actually did this, but we find that Adam and Eve find themselves deceived and what they're going for is everything that's out of bounds. In creation, we realize there's not much out of bounds, but that's what they're drawn to. That sound familiar to anybody? Or maybe it's just me and my kids, right? We're always going for the stuff that's out of bounds. So what I want to do this morning is I just want to look at the tactics of the enemy because Satan is the one who comes in to deceive. And we're going to look at those tactics and we're going to look at the sobering consequences because here's the truth. Those are just as real today as they were back in the days of Adam and Eve. Most of us have a general account, a general understanding of the account of the fall of man. Lots of times I have people ask me questions like, well, why did God give this one rule anyhow? Or why did God even make it possible for sin? Or didn't God want man to have a moral compass to know right from wrong? Shouldn't we know right from wrong? Why was there a tree? Why are there mosquitoes? Okay, that's not, not the last one so much. And I don't want to go into a whole big, long theological debate about this, but here's the reality. This is the truth if you boil it all down. I believe the whole premise is that 
all of these questions boil down really to one answer, is that God wanted us to walk in fellowship by choice. He didn't want to create robots that are forced to walk with him, forced to have fellowship with him. You've done that with your kids, right, on vacation, or again, maybe it's just mine. You know, three kids are fine, and the fourth one is dragging. You're going to come with us, and you're going to have fun, and you're going to like it. Again, maybe it's just my kids. But we had had those. <laughs> so God doesn't want a, a, a family. He doesn't want a following. He doesn't want you to come here just because you have to. He wants to have a relationship with you because it's the desire of your heart. Because you see, you know the difference when your kids want to come to church and when they're forced to come to church. When they want to go to grandma and grandpa's, when they're forced to grandma and grandpa's. You know what that's like. God's saying, you know what? I want you to walk on your own free will. And he gave Adam and Eve an amount of time. We don't know how much time there was. But the Bible says he walked in the cool of the day with Adam. Can you imagine that? Can you just imagine Adam strolling through the garden, having this fellowship with God? Ask him anything you want. I'll bet you Adam knew why the tree was there. I'll bet you he knew about everything, whatever he had a question on. The very creator of the universe, the one who spoke life into existence, he walked in the cool of the day with him. And that was still available to Adam until Genesis chapter 3, starting in verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from the tree in the garden? Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? And the woman says to the serpent, We may eat the fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say, you must not eat the fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it, or you will die. You will not surely die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat of it, uh, that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and she ate it and she gave some to her husband who was there with him and he ate it. Somebody needs to kick him in the backside. God spoke to him initially. We assume that he is the one who passed on the information to Eve, but there are, I think there are a number of tactics. I don't like to say, well, there's five points here, but there are like five points that I want to bring out here. Five tactics of the enemy that I think are just as real today as they were 6,000 years ago. Number one, Satan begins with a lie. He begins with a lie. Every time he tempts you, he begins with a lie. He twists the truth. He misquotes God. Did God really say that you must not eat from any tree of the garden? You know what the simple answer to that is? No. No, that's not what God says. You deal with, with areas of sin in your life and we're, we're, we're tempted all the time. Well, well, you know, did God really say, well, who really says that that's what the Bible says? How do you know that that's what the Bible says? How do you know that that's right or that's wrong? Does any of that sound familiar to anybody? 
The simple answer is no. We're told in Genesis chapter 2 that there are many trees to eat from. There's only one that's out of bounds. And the serpent is trying to get Eve to question. That's the reality. The, the enemy is always trying to get us to question God and his authority. Right? That's where sin comes from. And you know what? It's not just God. The next thing you know, I can't go to her. She told me I couldn't. Then, like, don't you pull me up on stage. But the next thing you know, the child is being tempted to question mom and dad's authority. I mean, what do they know anyhow? Right? Especially when you get a little bit older. Then really, what do mom and dad know? And then you finally get just a little bit older and you go, man, dad was smart. But that way, that way, say you're 25 or 30. But in those younger years, we're tempted to question all kinds of authority, whether it's mom and dad, whether it's a school teacher, but ultimately it boils down to the enemy is trying to get Eve to question God's authority. Is he really, does God really have the best in mind for you? How many of you have, how many of you have fought with that? You know when we're dealing with temptations and struggles of the flesh, you know, like we really want something our way. Like we really want something our way. It's, how do I know that this is the best way for me? How do I know that I can't go this way? I'm going to tell you something. It's why we want you reading the word. It's, this is true. This is true. This is true. This is true. The first 11 chapters are true. They deal with every major theological doctrine. This is truth. Get God's word in you. Then you don't have to question. When the enemy comes to question, how did Jesus defeat uh, Satan in the, in the wilderness? Three words. It is written. It is, he quoted scripture. How are you going to defeat the enemy? Scripture, Scripture, get to know God's Word. Become familiar with it. Become familiar with it. Wield it like a sword. Become familiar with it. The enemy wants Eve to doubt God's Word, His truth, wants to doubt that God cares for her, wants her to doubt His goodness. Have you ever been there? You ever been in that situation where you really doubted God's goodness? You really doubted whether God knew what was right or wrong. The second thing is the enemy wants us to see God as being extreme or unreasonable. When you see Eve's response, she gets it wrong. Eve says, from the tree in the middle of the garden, we cannot eat it or touch it. Did God ever say you can't touch it? There's a tree. It's got fruit. God said, don't eat it. I just want to touch it. Touch it all day long. You can hug it if you want to. You can climb it. You can play in it. Don't eat the fruit. But the enemy wants to take us down this road where God is extreme. You go to church. Oh, you go to church, man. You're never going to have any fun again, ever. 
You, 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 just, you will just never laugh at all from here on out. They're going to want you to throw away your radio and your TV and all books. Man, you're going to be wearing black shirts and black pants. Don't wear a tie. No color. You're going to have to get rid of everything. The enemy wants us to think that God is extreme, that there is, that he, you know what? He is extreme. He's extremely holy. He's extremely righteous. But he's not extremely cruel and extremely harsh, and he doesn't have this, his ill will for us at all. You ever been there? You ever been tempted to think, well, 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 God is just so extreme, I can't do anything now. It's a lie. That's a lie. I can tell you after spending the last three days with the elders from this church and their wives, we laughed a lot. We had a great time together. Nobody got drunk. We all really remember just about every day, right? I mean, some we might miss a little bit in there. But our phones didn't work and we didn't care. We spent time together. Fellowship. It's like, we should we get together after supper tonight? Oh, I'm not sure. You know what? We don't get a chance to do this. Let's get together. We spent time together. And here's the deal. As soon as the enemy knew that Eve didn't know the truth, it left her vulnerable. You ever been vulnerable? You ever been in a situation? That's when the enemy attacks. That's the enemy really is going to jump in on his vulnerable spots. And he wants to separate us. Genesis chapter 2 and verse 16 is when God spoke to Adam and said, hey, just don't eat the fruit. One tree, just one tree, don't eat it. But apparently Eve missed the memo on that. But during this whole process of deliberation, we don't hear anything from the man, from Adam. So Eve doesn't turn to Adam, nor does she turn to God in this. She deliberates it all out and logics it all out in her own head. Has that ever got anybody in trouble other than me? I want to do life on my own. How does that work? Not very good. Generally leads me to trouble. We have a saying when we, uh, uh, an acronym, when we want to deal with addicts, we want to deal with, with people who are really struggling, and it's HALT. Hungry, angry, lonely, tired. Don't ever act when you've got those struggles going on in your life. If you're overly hungry, if you're angry, if you're lonely. Last night we came home from this, from this conference, and uh, first I knew I had to haul in some wood because it snowed while we're gone. Wasn't expecting that to happen, but I had to go and get some wood, and the garage door didn't open. You know what? That garage door shut just fine the other day, but now it didn't open. So I'm messing with the wires and changing things around and batteries and this and that, and it still didn't open. So now I'm getting a little snotty about it. I'm getting a little angry about it. And I run into Menards. I could have been eating supper. I didn't eat supper. So now I'm hungry and I'm angry. And I'm not really lonely. But I just got done driving and I did tell Annette, you know, I sit down and have a cup of coffee and put my feet up in my favorite chair. I wouldn't mind taking a little nap for a while. I have to deal with that. The enemy wants to come in. He wants to give me a lousy attitude. And you know what? I want to take it. Yeah, 
One honest person like, yeah, me too. I get it. The enemy will always attack you when you're vulnerable. Always. Always. When you've had to work an extra shift. When, 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 you, when you just got off the phone with your kids and they're not doing what you told them they should do. When, when there's trouble brewing, that's where the enemy always wants to come in. Always. Know it. It's a tactic. Just know that. Know that those thoughts that are going on in your head, there's a battle. Take control of them. If you see yourself coming into it, here's the deal. Eve should have recognized. She had help right there. God has walked in the garden with them. Do you think if she'd have said, God, I need your help right now, do you think he would have turned her away? Do you think she'd have looked at her husband and said, what do you think we should, should we really turn to God about what should we do about this? Instead, she makes that decision on her own. He seems to jump in right there. Know your vulnerable spots, folks. Know, your, know yourself. Know your own soul. Know what's going on. We had a guy. We had a guy in Celebrate Recovery six months ago, maybe a year ago, sitting right next to me. We were talking about sponsors, so maybe it was a year ago. We're talking about sponsor. And the guy's sitting right next to me at Celebrate Recovery, and he said, you know, he said, this is my sponsor, and he starts patting me on the shoulder. This is my If I need help, I just call him. And I'm like, well, I'm really not your sponsor, you know, because you don't ever call me. And I called this out in the group. And, you know, you don't ever call me. Well, he said, I'm not going to call you when I want a drink. You're just going to try and talk me out of it. Four months later, his sister buried him because he died of alcohol poisoning. Right? The enemy knows our weakness. And he will always want to separate you. He will always want to attack when you're the most vulnerable. When there's a hurt, when there's a loss, when there's a struggle, when the job is going downhill, when a dog is sick, he will always, always want to attack Always know that. Be aware of that. It's a tactic. Know it. Don't be surprised by that. The fourth thing, the enemy wants us to fixate on sin. As you watch this scene unfold, you'll find that Eve is looking at this fruit, and the next thing you know, she kind of begins to fixate on it. You know, that's a good-looking apple. Well, I bet you that would be good in a pie. Well, that sin sure does smell good. You know, last time I had an apple, it was good, but I don't think it was that good. Right? Recognize that tactic? I've been down this road. It wasn't so bad. The fruit from the tree was good for food. Eve saw the fruit from the tree was good for food. Oh, it was pleasing to the eye. And you know what? It'd sure be desirable to know there's good and evil. That would that'd be a good thing. You can almost see her walking around the tree looking at it. Wow, man, I, I, could, I could jump on this. That sin, especially, Paul tells us, be careful. Be careful. When you think you've overcome something, be careful. You might find yourself ensnared in it again. Be careful. 
We always got to turn back to the Lord. You always better keep God first. You always got to keep, we got to know the truth because otherwise, you know, one beer is not so bad. How many of you know if you're a struggling alcoholic that one's too many and two's not enough, right? And three's not enough and five's not enough and ten's not enough. Statistics will tell you if, you've, if you have kicked a, a serious addiction of any sort, I don't care what the addiction is, if you've kicked an addiction of any sort, if you jump back onto that addiction, you may say, well, you know, I was addicted for 20 years and it got so bad that I couldn't pass a bar. It got so bad I had to spend $1,000 a month at a bar. It got so bad that the, every bartender in the place knew me by name for five different bars all the way home. They all knew me by name. Statistics will tell you, you jump on that wagon, you won't start at ground zero again. You're going to start at ground 20 years. And it'll just take you a matter of a couple of months to get there. I don't care what the addiction is. I don't care what the hurt is. I don't care. You want to pick that hot coal up? It burned your hands so bad that it, it, it almost destroyed your life. But we think we can just play with it again. You can't play with sin. You can't. And the enemy is going to want you to fixate on it. Just start thinking about it a little bit. Just start thinking about it. Just Oh, you remember the good old days. The good old days when I had to drag myself to the toilet so I could heave inside of that instead of on the floor. That is not a good old day. Amen? Amen. That we need a reality check some days. The enemy wants us to fixate on sin. Oh, that was so good. I had so many friends. I didn't have to remember. I didn't have to deal with any of my problems. No, everybody else had to deal with your problems. Think of all the bridges that you burned. Think of all the people that you hurt. The enemy wants us to fixate on sin. And then, to top it all off, point number five, The enemy wants you to invite somebody else into the cesspool with you, right? Because then you're not so bad. You know, yeah, 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 how about it? How about it, man? You know, we could just go hit up, remember that bar? We we could just go, let's just just go and do it. Let's just, you and me, let's just go. Come on, let's go. Nobody's going to know. Nobody's going to know. Nobody's going to know. Somebody wants to drag you into that same pit with them. It's the devil. Don't go. Don't go. Don't open yourself up to that sin. The devil will always want you to drag somebody else in. Look what he did at the tree. Hey, baby, I just took a bite out of this apple, and it was really good. You should have some. And he took it. What's the matter with him? What is him? What are you thinking? Have you ever said that about any of your friends? Can't believe they were stupid enough to do that. What were they thinking? I'm so mad at them. I could use a beer myself. Right? Go down that same rabbit hole. The enemy loves when we drag somebody else down that hole with us. What are the consequences of that sin? Genesis chapter 3. And listen to this verse. Listen to this verse. This blew me away. I just got this this morning. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they 
realized that they were naked, so they sewed fig trees, to, fig leaves together to make coverings for themselves. One verse. It's all about them five times in one verse. They, 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 and them. They did it all for themselves. <clears throat> then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But when the Lord God called out to man, Where are you? Adam answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, Who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? And the man said, This woman that you put here with me, she... I didn't say nothing. This woman that you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree, and I ate it. What are the consequences of sin? Consequences are immediate. Did they, did they die? They didn't die physically, but death entered at that very moment, and death began. First thing that happened is the imagio Dei, the image of God has just been scarred. Adam no longer sees himself in the image of God. He no longer sees Eve in the image of God. She no longer sees her husband in the image of God. They were created, the Bible says, in the image, in the image of God. And the enemy promised them that there's something better than that. And they fell for it. You know the struggles that this world has with people and their self-image? You ever heard of that? Self-image? I see myself, I gotta, I, gotta, I, gotta, I gotta eat real quick and then throw up because I'm too fat. People who are about the size around of this microphone stand. They struggle with their self-image. They hate themselves because of the way they look, because of the size of their nose, because of the size of their ears, because of the color of their eyes, because one eye is a little higher than the other, because one shoulder is a little lower. They hate themselves. Their image is destroyed. It goes right back to the Garden of Eden. We were created, man was created in God's image. We have to deal with that as, a, as, a, as humanity. We need to look at ourselves and recognize we are created in God's image. It's fallen, it's scarred, it's marred, it's broken, but we're created in God's image and we need to get back to that position. We need to be healed in Christ so we can see ourselves as God's child created in his image. That's not the way the world sees themselves. And they're trying to cover it up with every form of sin imaginable. The image of God was marred. How many people struggle with that self-image? We no longer see ourselves in God's image. The second thing that came was shame. Men and women who have never known shame look at each other and they go, whoa, whoa, man, what is going on? And there's shame. Sin caused them to see Shame, something happened. Human nature at this point changes. There's something has gone on. Theologians call this the fall. At this very moment, that's what they call the fall, right here. This is where that image has changed. This is where shame comes in. The next consequence is alienation. Sin always alienates. It always alienates, right? 
We're not going to go in. I'm not going to go in and tell people a whole bunch of lies about Jim and then go and say, hey, guess what I told everybody? Right? No, it's going to separate. It's going to push us away. Alienation. Adam and Eve were alienated from God. They were separated not only from God, separated from this magnificent garden, separated from their purpose. Not only were they marred, but creation was marred. Their relationship with God was destroyed. Everything was, was, was in flux. Everything has been, been damaged now. Everything has fallen. They hear him coming, and then they're alienated. Their fear is the, next, is the next result of sin. When God asks, where are you? Adam makes this amazing statement. I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. It's the first record of fear. What does fear cause us to do? Run away. How many times I've talked to people who, who, who refuse to get up on stage. No, 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 that's okay. I'd sing if I could do it from the back of church. That, that's just fine. Where does that fear come from? What does Paul tell Timothy? God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of soundness of mind. Understand this. When you grab a hold of fear and you're functioning out of fear, you are not functioning out of soundness of mind. They are two diametrically opposed things. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of soundness of mind. When fear is our, is our go-to, when fear is the mechanism, you are not operating in soundness of mind. Amen? It's the truth. You do crazy things based on fear. We do crazy things, things we'd never do based out of fear. Here's another point. If you ever hear God read in, in Scripture where God is asking, me, asking you a question, I would suggest that you read that rather slowly and you back up and you look at the context because God knew where they were, right? God didn't know. He didn't know that he didn't know where they were. He knew exactly where Adam was. He wasn't asking because he couldn't find him. And then the one that everybody giggled about is blame. When God confronts Adam point blank, he says, this woman that you gave me, what, no more flesh of my flesh? No more bone of my bone? No more, whoa, man. No, no, no. This woman, and then he throws an extra dig in. By the way, God, I didn't ask for her. This woman that you gave me. We're going to throw her under the bus, and I'm going to blame you for it. You think, whoa. What audacity. Listen to the world around us. Listen to the world around us. Listen to yourself. How often do we want to blame somebody else? How often do we want to blame God for our problems? God, why would you let this happen to me? Really? It's God's problem that I stepped in that pile of doo-doo? It's not God's problem. Matter of fact, he gave me the clear instruction how not to walk in that. And I chose to step in it anyhow, just like Adam. 
Adam had it made. Blame God. You got it perfect. You're living on the beach. You got a great garden. All you got to do is tend to it. I don't even think the mosquitoes bit. I'm not sure if you pat them. I'm not sure if they all got together and hummed a chorus to put you to sleep, but they weren't biting and chewing and eating on you. And you got a beautiful woman. What, what more do you want? Got to have that apple, man. Oh, by the way, God, it's your fault. Careful. Blame. Probably the greatest lie here is surely you won't die. At that moment, death begins its reign. Guess what? 6,000 years later, death is still reigning, right? Death is still alive. Death still takes us. Woman was told that she would experience pain, labor, pain. Death, pain comes on the scene. You're going to experience pain during childbirth. Man, you're going to experience pain when you're, when you're laboring. Here's the other deal. I don't know if you ever thought about this. I thought about it the other day when I was putting this together. We talk about the pain that man faces. We talk about the pain that woman faces. What about the pain that God faced? He created us in his image to walk in perfect step with him. And now because of rebellion, we're taking, he's, now he's got to throw Adam out of the garden. And ultimately, his son has to be crucified to make restoration. I think there was a pain that God endured because of Adam's sin. You know it as parents, right? You know it as parents. Your kids do something that absolutely breaks your heart. Why would they do that? Why would they do that? They know better. Why would they say that? Why would they go there? Why would they do that? It breaks your heart. The theological term for this human condition is known as depravity. Dallas Willard says this, depravity is a spiritual condition that involves our readiness to do harm to others or to let harm come to them if it will help us reach our goals of security, ego, gratification, or satisfaction of our deepest desires. If it will help us reach our goals of security, ego, gratification or satisfaction of our deepest desires just like glass is predisposed to break nitroglycerin is predisposed to explode when the conditions are right we are predisposed to do wrong we're predisposed to sin that's the result of the fall that's what the world around us is based on that's why we look at life and we see that sinners sin People that don't know God act like sinners. Why are they doing that? Because they don't know any better. They're predisposed to that. Why? Because they're depraved. They're predisposed to it. The good news in all of this, first of all, is that I'm going to have three more pages of notes for next week to start with already. But the good news is that God didn't leave us there. We also find the very first prophecy about a Messiah that's coming to help. 
You see, it didn't take God 4,000 years to figure out a plan. What did they do? What did they do? How am I going to make this better? I'll try this. I'll try that. I'll try the other. No. He knew right from the beginning it was going to take a virgin birth. He knew right from the beginning it was going to take the suffering, the rejection, the pain, the loss of his own son to pay for it. He knew it immediately. I'm going to read through a little bit of this. Genesis chapter 4 and verse 1. Adam lay with his wife Eve and she became pregnant, gave birth to Cain, and she said, with the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. Interesting, 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 interesting to me. Interesting. I could go off on this for an hour. Here she is. She has followed after sin. She's been caught in her weakest moment. It's brought fear. It's brought pain. It's brought devastation. It's brought weakness. And the first thing she does is she recognizes that it's God who has begun to provide for her. I think she understood something. I think she understood something that we don't very often understand. I think she understood, you know what? I got myself in this mess. I did it. This tells me that she's owning it. Later she gave birth to his brother Abel. Now Abel kept flocks and Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought up the first fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. But Abel brought the fatted portions from the firstborn of his flock. And the Lord looked with favor on Abel's offering. But on Cain's offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was angry and his face was downcast. You know what that looks like, right? My grandson. Can I play with your tractor? No. And the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what's right, you'll be accepted. Scripture is littered, littered, absolutely littered. The, the, the consequence for sin is blood. It's not grape juice. It's blood. You don't get to bring the first fruits from the vine. This requires a sacrifice of some sort. And Cain chose not to bring that sacrifice. He chose to do it his way. Kind of sounds like he, his mom and his dad. They decided to do it their way. If you do what's right, will you not be accepted? But if you do what's not right, sin is crouching at your do door and it desires to have you, but you must master it. That tells me that you can master it. <clears throat> Cain said to his brother, let's go out in the field. He's mad, hungry, angry, lonely, tired, angry. He's angry. Let's go out in the field. And while they were out there, Cain attacked his brother Abel, and he killed him. And the Lord said to Cain, where's your brother? And he's just like his dad. Well, I don't know. I mean, am I my brother's keeper? The only difference in the pattern here, the only difference is when sin came to Eve, it came from the outside in. The devil tempted her from the outside. Sin is now increased to the point that it rose up within Abel. Sin is now part of the human condition. Now it's coming from the inside out. But we have a God. I'm not going to make it clear to the New Testament today in the last two minutes. <clears throat> but Jesus Christ, we just celebrated the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We just celebrated passion we just celebrated the fact that he paid the price for us 
And as I said, prophecies begin immediately in the book of Genesis that God is going to send away. And he did. Now he is Jesus Christ. If you find yourself struggling with sin to the point that you just, you're caught in this trap all the time. It's like it, it trips me up every time. It, I fall for it every time. I've been going around this mountain so many times. I just can't stop. I just can't stop. I just, if you do what's right, if we grab a hold of the truth, if we focus on the truth instead of the sin, if you do what's right, you've got hope. And if not, sin's crouching at your door. And it's waiting. But you can master it through the blood of Jesus. You'll never master it on your own, by the way. You'll only master it by doing what Eve did not do. Eve should have turned to the Father. She should have looked for help. Instead of dragging her husband in, she should have turned and said, let's get a hold of the Father and see what he says about this. Maybe I missed something. We live in a depraved world. We're going to close in prayer. I just... I just want you to know that if this all sounds way too familiar and you're really all just stuck in this, you have to know that there is a bridge out of that depravity and that bridge is Jesus Christ. He paid the price. He paid the price. He paid the price so that we don't have to continue to live in that state anymore. We don't. We can master sin through the blood of Jesus, through the word. The scripture says in Revelation, they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony and they loved not their lives even unto the death. I don't care if you want me to drink with you so bad that you're going to beat me up. I am going to follow Jesus. I'm going to do what's right according to his word. God, I just pray. I pray for each person here, each person who's watching online. Help us to recognize this depraved world. We see it all around us, God. We see the depravity. We see people lost. We see them looking for their, their, their image. They're not, their, their self-image. They're looking for some kind of self-image. When, when their image has been destroyed because of sin, there's no longer the image of God. They no longer see themselves in the image of God. God, I pray that we would turn to you. Turn to you. Turn to you. Eve could have turned to you. Cain could have turned to you. Instead, they chose to do life on their own. Do it their way. And it always leads us into a pit. It always leads us to despair. It always leads us away from you. We no longer have to do life our way. Jesus came and he paid the price. He died on the cross so that we no longer have to do life our way. God, help us to turn to you. Help us to turn to you. Repent from our old ways. Walk away from that. That's what we're going to read about next is this, this family of Abraham. The promise that comes through the family of Abraham. Change our hearts, O oh God. We pray in Jesus' name. As we close, we have a video to take a look at for next week's reading. Colin, we're walking through the, the book of Genesis, which is made up of these two main parts. And the first part begins in the garden where we watch humanity spiral downward in self-destruction. And it ends in the Tower of Babel where a rebellious humanity is scattered by God. Then the second part of Genesis zooms in and focuses on just one family. And right in the middle is this story that links the two parts of Genesis together and helps us understand what the whole book is all about. So how do we get from the Tower of Babel 
to the story here in the middle. Well, after the scattering at Babel, there's this genealogy, and it follows one of the tribes all the way down to this one guy named Abram. You probably know him as Abraham. And God starts making all these promises to Abraham, like he's going to bless him and give him a ton of kids. And he says that through him and his family, all the nations of the earth are now going to find God's blessing. So basically, God is trying to restore humanity back to the goodness of the garden and to his original intentions for the world. So it's like his rescue plan for humanity. And that's why the whole second half of Genesis is about this one family. And so you have, you have Abraham, and then he has a son, Isaac, who has Jacob, and then Jacob has 12 sons. And to each generation, God renews his promise to bless them and all nations through them. So because of this promise to use this family to rescue the world, it's pretty easy to read these stories as examples of how to be a good person. But actually, for the most part, this family is totally dysfunctional. So for example, let's go back to Abraham. This whole story is about God giving him and his wife Sarah a family, but two different times. He basically gives Sarah away to other men by denying that she's even his wife. And then Sarah gets impatient about having a son, and so she makes Abraham sleep with her servant girl, which then causes all of these other problems in the family. So they get really old, and you begin to think that there's no way they're going to have a kid of their own. But then, miraculously, they do. It's Isaac. And Isaac, he has two sons, Esau and Jacob, and it seems like things are going pretty good. But Jacob... The younger brother wants the family's inheritance, which belongs to Esau, the older brother. So he devises a plan where he's going to steal it from his father, Isaac, who at this point in the story is now old and blind. Which who does that horrible stealing from your blind father? Yeah, and then he just takes off. So Jacob goes on from there to have 12 sons, big family. But Jacob loves his 11th son, Joseph, way more than all the others. And so he gives him the special technicolor dream coat and his brothers because of this come to hate him so much so that they plan on killing him but they don't they instead just sell him as a slave down in egypt now while in egypt through this crazy series of events joseph goes from being in a prison cell to becoming the second in command there and so later on the the whole middle east falls into this food shortage and joseph's brothers they come down to egypt looking for food and then when they get there Who should they find as the ruler of the whole land? It's Joseph, that guy they sold into slavery. But he actually saves them from starving to death. And so here you have it. These are the great-grandchildren of Abraham who have done this heinous act to their brother. But God has transformed their evil into something good. And that's exactly what Joseph says here in the last paragraph of the entire book. He says, you guys planned all of this for evil, but God planned it for good, to save people's lives. Now, these words, they conclude the book because they actually summarize the message of the whole story so far. Humans keep choosing evil, and we are thinking they're, they're screwing up God's plan, but he keeps turning their evil back into good. And somehow, he's going to use this family to restore humanity back to the garden. So that's the book of Genesis. But we still don't know how exactly he's going to use this family to bring us back to the garden. Well, yeah, but this is just the first book. So that's what the rest of the Bible sets out to answer. You know, pastor, the Bible's so boring. Read the stories. God bless you. Have a great day.